All right, uh, we are beginning a new series called Broken, Repairing the Family. And we're gonna talk about the family some, and I just want you to understand whether you're married, single, divorced, or widowed, you're a part of a family. And I promise you that God's gonna speak to you through this series, all right? Uh, the first message is called The Fall of the First Family. That's what we're gonna be talking about tonight, The Fall of the First Family. By the way, I'm talking about Adam and Eve not uh, Barack and Michelle, okay? All right, turn to Genesis chapter three. That's the, we're not talking about the first family in the White House. We're talking about the first family that ever existed. Genesis chapter three. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you have biological characteristics from Adam and Eve. We are all a part of the first family. No matter what your tribe or your ethnos is, your race, or where you came from in the world, we're all descendants from Adam and Eve, every one of us. And we have biological characteristics that we received from Adam and Eve, physical characteristics that we received from Adam and Eve. Do you think it's possible that we have spiritual characteristics, spiritual genetic tendencies because of the fall of the first family? In just a few verses, I want you to think about this. In the verses in Genesis 3, we're about to read. Before these verses, every person on earth, though few, every person on earth was in a perfect relationship with God and each other. And in just a few verses, every person on earth was in a splintered, broken relationship with God and each other. Genesis chapter three, look at verse one. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? He immediately cast doubt on the word of God. Has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Immediately says God's word is wrong. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, I want you to notice those two words, and he ate. So what entered into every family in the world in a millisecond? What entered? Sin. Well, what did sin, what came with sin? Never thought about that? What came with sin? All right, I want to tell you three things, all right, from this passage. Number one, shame. Shame. Here's the number one characteristic that sin brings with it, shame. Now, let's keep going. We stopped at verse six, look at verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now I want you to notice the question God asked him. Who told you? Who told you were naked? And notice that before they ever hid from God, 
they tried to hide from each other. The very first thing that comes after sin comes shame. Shame of being naked. All through the Bible, it talks about this. Let, let me just read you a few verses, uh, or a ver one verse here. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. So immediately, there's this shame. I, I understand this. I, I grew up this way. I grew up with a shame. I grew up with a a shame of uh, someone walking in, you know, when I was changing clothes. I was very skinny growing up. I've overcome that, by the way. <laughs> now I'm afraid someone will walk in and say I'm fat, you know, but I had this shame. I had this fear. Adam and Eve had never felt shame before. Never had fear. And immediately, immediately, think about this. They try to cover up. They try to hide from God and they try to hide from each other. Think about this, by the way. They were married. Who was looking at them? I mean, they were the only human beings. They didn't have children that could walk in on them at that time. They're just animals on the earth. Why, why would you cover, I mean, were the monkeys pointing and laughing? Or I mean, what? it's just animals. I, mean, I really don't care if the dog sees me naked. I don't care. So what was it? Who told you you were naked? You know what it was? It was a sense of shame. And we've carried that ever since. We have a sense of shame over our nakedness, over our physical and over our spiritual nakedness. Now, obviously, we should have modesty, but there's a shame there that came with sin. Isaiah 61.10 says, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So obviously when he says in Revelation, I counsel you to buy white garments for me, he's not talking about physical garments to cover the nakedness of your shame. He's talking about spiritual garments. And here are the spiritual garments right here. Salvation, the robe of righteousness. Listen to me very, very carefully. The only, the only solution for shame is the righteousness of Jesus. You will never be righteous enough to overcome shame. You'll never do it in your own righteousness. It's only the righteousness of Jesus. Now, I really have struggled in my life with shame. I've had people help me. I've had, had to receive ministry to get over shame. I think the reason is because uh, I, I was so immoral. You know, it's one thing when you stand up and, and you say, I was a, a drug addict and, and I did drugs and I did things like that, but the immorality that I was involved in the enemy used to just so beat me up and say, you, you just have no right to ever stand in front of people and to try to tell them about God with your past. And for me, you have to remember, I got, I got saved when I was 19, and in my early 20s, I fell morally again after I was saved and was doing ministry, doing youth-type ministry things. Now, all of that has been taken care of correctly, biblically, you know, years and years ago, but the shame of it, because it was after I was saved. After I was saved. Now, I just want to just see if anyone here can relate to this. Maybe you haven't fallen into sexual sin, but how many of you here, I just want you to be honest, and I think you will, how many of you here have really blown it? Maybe you have really said things to people that have hurt them, or you have uh, been involved in some sort of an addictive type of behavior, but how many of you here have really blown it since you got saved. 
Can I see your hand? Now put it way up high and keep it up. And everybody look around at all the sinners that come to Gateway Church. <laughs> Praise God. Here's the point. Here's the reason I did that. Satan tells you there's nobody else like you. There's no one else that's blown it like you. There's no one else as bad as you are. And listen to me, here's, here's, here's the answer to that. You're exactly right. I'm a bad guy, but God, but God. Listen, the blood of Jesus not only cleanses all of your sin before you got saved, but everything we've done since. And if it doesn't cleanse the sin that we've been involved in and fallen to since we got saved, we're in trouble. Jesus bore your sin. This is amazing, this verse and your shame on the cross so we can be set free from shame. Here's the second thing that came in the world, blame. Blame. We stopped a, a moment ago, verse 10, look at verse 11. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Who told you, see? Then the man said, now watch this, the woman whom you gave to be with me, by the way, that's been going on for 4,000 years, ladies. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the devil made me do it. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice the separation that sin brings. Immediately, immediately, they're separated from God, but they're separated from each other. And notice what Adam does in one sentence. Listen, in one sentence. He blames two people. The woman you gave me. I was doing fine with the chimpanzees, God. <laughs> Wasn't until she showed up and you're the one that gave her to me. Now come on, every person in the world before sin was in a perfect relationship with God and each other. Every person in the world after sin in a broken, fractured relationship with God and each other. And listen to me, who do we blame when we mess up? God and others. It's not my fault. It's not my fault that I'm like this. See, I've had a very difficult time with this as well. If you, if you fall to shame, you fall to blame. Not my fault. Or it's all my fault. This is all my fault. Whatever has happened to me, I deserve it. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. Here's what we do. We look around for someone to blame. I, I have been terrible in this area as well. I have been terrible in this area. Something goes wrong, I want to know. Well, who was supposed to have taken care of this? Instead of just taking care of it and fixing it, I want to know whose responsibility was this to take care of this? Well, what does it matter? I always want to blame. And then here's what happens. You see it in your kids. If we went on to Genesis 4, which we're not, but you see Cain and Abel, Cain in essence blames Abel for God not accepting his offering. So it just keeps going to your kids. Well, I'm seeing this in my own kids. And I was talking to my daughter about it. And I said, would you mind if I share this? Because she's doing real well now. But boy, for a long time, it was never her fault. It was never her fault. You know, she did bad in the class. The teacher doesn't like me, dad. But it wasn't her fault. It didn't have one thing to do with that she stayed up till two and didn't study the night before. It was the teacher's fault. And I, she used to say things to me like this. This has been so many times. She, 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 she would say this. Daddy, someone stole my phone. I said, now there's no chance that you lost it. Is that right? Nope, someone stole it. Someone stole my phone. 
And then a couple hours later, she'll send me a text. Which means she found it, but the text will say something like this. The person who stole my phone put it in the bottom of my purse. <laughs> this is the way we are. You, you know uh, what blame is? Let me give you another word for blame. Accusation. We accuse people. You know where accusation comes from? It comes from the accuser of the brethren. So shame, blame, and here's the third one, fame. Fame. I want to be known. I want to be important. I want someone to recognize me. God in verses, we're not going to read them, but in verses 14 through 19, he outlines the curses which they brought on themselves. Not which he puts on them, but which they brought on themselves. And then I want you to notice what Adam does immediately after this. And many, many people have never even seen or understood the significance of what he did. Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Well, that doesn't sound bad, does it? Okay, let me tell you what it is. Here's what happens. Adam immediately separates from his wife, immediately. Because you have to remember something, and most people don't know this. God did not name her Eve. Her name was not Eve before the fall. I sent out a tweet about this for all you tweeters. <laughs> what was Eve's name before the fall? Got back a lot of good answers. Uh, woman and uh, uh, lots of things, but no one had the right answer. You know what her name was before the fall? Adam. Let me read you a verse because the, the New King James, I'm gonna read that in Old King James. The New King James and others translate it human or mankind, but it is the Hebrew word. Let me just read it to you. Here it is. Genesis 5.2 says, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Her name was Adam female, Adam woman. His name was Adam man. By the way, this is Genesis 3, after the fall. Do you know what he did right before the fall? The very last verse is Genesis 2. Do you know what he called her then? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You'll be called woman, part of man. You're part of me. You are part of me. In chapter 2, he, he says, we're one. Chapter 3, he says, we're different. You're separate. You're Eve. The mother... Of all living. Again, we say, well, what's, what's bad about that? You know, women are mothers. Hold on. Listen to this. He labeled her. He said, let me tell you what your job is. Your job is to bear me kids. Do you realize that women have been struggling with this for 6,000 years? Is this my purpose on earth? My purpose just to bear kids? I'm just a kid producing machine? That's my purpose. Is that what my purpose is? Is that all my... This is why many, 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 many women, many women go through incredible depression when the kids leave because they fulfilled their purpose. I want to tell you something, ladies. It's not your purpose. Listen to me. God has a purpose, a gifting, and a calling for every person on this earth, male and female. I, I struggle with this. I really did for a while. I struggle with it in, in uh, Debbie's own life because God called her, and any of you ladies that were pink understand this. She is called 
to do women's ministry. And she's good at it. Do you agree? She's real good at it. And uh, she, by the way, she is the best. Are we talking about the first family? She's the best first lady you could have, just to let you know. She's good. But I tell you, I wasn't real pleased about God calling her. Because I wanted her to be just for me. I want you to be there when I'm there, and I want you to be there when I'm not there. And when I get there, I want you there. I want you there all the time, just for me. And the Lord spoke very clearly to me and said, are you about the kingdom or not? Are you about laying down your life or not for the kingdom of God? Because every woman has a gifting and a call from God even when, when the kids are there and when the kids are gone. And by the way, your highest calling is not to be a mother. I've heard that. And I understand people are trying to emphasize our roles in the family, and I believe in the family with all that I am. I believe we're to be a great husbands, great wives, great fathers, great mothers. I believe in all that. But your highest call is not your call as a mother or a father. Your highest call is that as a child of God. That is your highest call. We even say it. We say it all the time. God, family, business. And I'm telling you, there's a call of God on every man and on every woman. And here's part of the fall. Mm. Now, let me tell you what your call is. Your call is to do this. By the way, uh, this is a, uh, a labeling that is in every family. This is in every family. Think about this. Aren't you so-and-so son? And you know what kids do? They rebel. They don't want to be so-and-so's son. I want, to be, I want to be who I am, fame. I want to be known for something that I do. Aren't you uh, so-and-so's younger brother? He was a real good athlete. He played football for us the year we went to state. You going to play football? Y'all ever heard anything like this? Aren't you so-and-so's sister? She, she was valedictorian. She was a really good student. Are you a good student? And kids, they start going the other way. You want to know why? Even, they just want to be known for something, even if it's bad. And they want daddy to look at them, and they want daddy to notice them. You got to show funniest home videos? Think about this. How many times they got the video camera on this girl, and she's singing, or she's twirling the baton, and little brother just slides into the picture. <laughs> By the way, I've watched that show a lot. Nine times out of ten, he's picking his nose, just, just to let you know. Because <laughs> he wants to be seen. He wants to be noticed as well. Is, is that right? And we label people. Hey, here's another way we label them. You know how Joe is. That's just the way Joe is. Joe has always been this way. Joe's the black sheep of our family. Joe's the one that always went the, his own way and just did his own thing. Let me show you another little, little other thing in this area of fame. Verse 16, God's speaking to Eve, and he says, your desire shall be for your husband. That sounds good too, doesn't it? And he shall rule over you. That doesn't sound good, does it? If you're a lady... If you're a man, you say, hey, look what the Bible says. <laughs> By the way, let me just clarify something, man. That's part of the curse of sin. We were, we're never supposed to rule over. We're supposed to servant lead. We're supposed to be servant leaders, not dominators. But let me tell you what this word, your desire shall be for your husband. You think, oh, that's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. This is the Hebrew word teshukah. I know y'all like Hebrew words. You want to say it with me? Teshukah, say that. Teshukah. See, all of you spoke Hebrew tonight. You know what it means? It means to be independent from and to dominate. To be independent from and to dominate. 
Here, you got to remember this, this, this is God is saying, let me tell you the consequences and the effects of your sin now. Here, here's the effect of your sin. You're going to be always trying to dominate him, but he's going to dominate you. That's what's, and, and God's not saying this, that I'm happy about it. God's saying, this is what you brought on yourselves. Oh, but please understand. By the way, in Christ, the curse is broken. In Christ, we don't dominate each other. We serve each other. We love each other. And this, it's a competition. That's what it is. The root of this word is competition. You're going to always be competing with each other. And think about this then. Think about in the kids. Same thing comes up in the kids. Cain and Abel competing for the best offering. Abel didn't, obviously, but Cain did. Got mad about it. Kids, it's unbelievable to me how you see children in competition. And here's the thing that blows me away. Even when they're, when they're grown, they're grown, still competing. They get together and they talk about how big their house is and their new job and their raise that they got and how smart their kids are. He's only two years old. He can already say A. Pretty soon be the whole alphabet. Teacher said he's the smartest one she'd ever seen. Does anyone here know what I'm talking about? This, this came from the fall of the first family. Competition, spirit of competition. Well, what's the answer? I just want to remind you that every one of us here have biological, physical characteristics from the first family. And every one of us here have spiritual tendencies, negative tendencies from the first family. Well, what's the answer? Well, obviously, Jesus is always the answer. He's always the answer. But let me just share it in a more specific way than that. Remember that Jesus was born on this earth. Listen, maybe you've never thought about this. Into a family. <laughs> into a family. Why? Because he came to repair the family. The family that was broken in Genesis 3. Jesus comes to repair. Matter of fact, let me read you a verse that's a quote. It's, I'm reading from the New Testament, but it's a quote from the Old Testament. Acts 3 verse 25 says, and in your seed, now this is speaking to Abraham, but the seed is speaking of Jesus. And in your seed, now watch this, maybe you've never seen this word or thought about it, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Jesus came to redeem the family. I just want to remind you that shame is the very first characteristic of sin that we see in the family. It's the very first one. Immediately. It says that immediately they knew they were naked and tried to hide, tried to cover themselves. Okay. Listen to me very carefully. If you'll allow Jesus to set you free from shame, it takes care of a lot of these things. It really does. Um, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago on Easter about... Uh, Daniel Webster's when he was dying and his doctor read his favorite hymn. And, but what I didn't share with you is the man that wrote the hymn a little bit about his life. The man that wrote that hymn was named William Cowper. William Cowper had a very bad past. As a matter of fact, it was very immoral. And he got saved and God began to bless him. He began to, he lived for the Lord and he got selected to be a clerk for the House of Lords. And he got very excited about it until he found out that he would have to have a public examination and they would bring up his past life. And he got so filled with shame 
and so embarrassed and so depressed that he decided to kill himself. So he went to the middle of town where there was a tower, but he couldn't throw himself off uh, because he just thought it was too high. He's afraid of heights. So he thought that's not a good way to die. So he got some poison and went to drink it, but he dropped the bottle and broke it, spilled all the poison. So he decided to hang himself. I know this is serious, but it's kind of funny too. He decided to hang himself and the beam broke. And so he went and got a knife out of the kitchen to stab himself and the blade broke. And he was so exhausted from all of his failed attempts to kill himself that he just fell asleep. And he woke up at three in the morning with words going through his mind. And he sat down and wrote, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Listen to this part. Lose all their guilty stains. And he said, God set him free from the shame of his past. And so he went to the public examination and he shared boldly about his past and the sin that he had been involved in and how the blood of Jesus cleanses all of our sin. And they said that many of the people at the public examination accepted Christ as their savior. And for the rest of his life, he was known as a man that shared about Jesus Christ. 